Hi, Jen. It's Thanksgiving week. It is Thanksgiving week. Do you want to hear something exciting? Tell me. I mean, I don't know if it's exciting exactly, but it's I guess I'm exciting. I'm ready for it. Uh, Mr. Reed's Romance and I went shopping for a new dishwasher. This is Saturday before Thanksgiving. Amazing. And they are going to install it on Monday, which means by the time everyone hears this, I will have a new dishwasher. Incredible. Are you cooking a full meal for Thanksgiving? (laughs) Absolutely not. That's the greatest part about it. (laughs) So we're sitting around like last night, kind of like pre-shopping as one does. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is middle-aged, being excited about a new dishwasher. Did you go to the wire cutter? I did. Well, so here's... You know that that's Eric's like obsession. Yeah, no. So listen, there's the funny part. So... Okay, we ended up ordering a KitchenAid dishwasher because we liked the third rack better on the top. Wait, so the slide-out thing with for the knives and forks? Yeah, yeah. Do you have that in your current? No. Oh, we're really old, listen. I know. Because listen to us be I so have, like, opinions about this, like, slide-out dish thing. All right. Okay, well, it's bigger than the ones that are just for silverware. So anyway, we really like oh, it. Oh, it's deeper. Yes. I get it. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that we really useful. like it. Because yeah. I hate this thing, this like oh. slide out silverware. Slide just for thing. silverware, right. It's exactly. so narrow. And yeah. it's like, what do I even put up there? And it just feels like fiddly. And I just wish I had the thing that I could jam the silverware. So in. it has both and. So the top is just like, it's actually kind of three racks in the top rack. Like we like to lay like, like the slotted spoons sure. and stuff kind of up there. Okay. The anyway. Is you don't live with Eric who like has a very particular view of how all machines should work. Well, anyway, we were going to get a Bosch because the wire cutter said that. When we were going, I was like, let's look, this is the brand, right? And Mr. Reed's Romance was like, what's the wire cutter? And I was like, you just need to leave this up to me now. Because can I tell you the failed appliance in our house that I actually made them uninstall when we got a new furnace? We hated our Nest thermostat. All right. It is literally like the worst thing that has ever happened to me. And when they put in a new furnace, I was like, get rid of the thing. They're like, it'll still work. And I was like, I don't want it anymore. I hate it. Well, everyone, you are not, as it may seem, listening to old ladies talk about appliances. (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to Fate of Mates. I'm Sarah McLean. I read romances and I write them and we talk about them here. Yeah, sure. Usually. And appliances. I am Jennifer Prokop, a romance reader, editor, and hater of the Nest thermostat. But it's fine. Notorious Nest hater. Notorious Nest hater. Um, but since it's the week before Thanksgiving, no, it's the week of Thanksgiving. Yeah, tomorrow, tomorrow's for Thanksgiving. Those in the United States, tomorrow is Thanksgiving. Which means we everybody has senioritis a little bit, but it actually means that we are recording an episode today um, that we've been planning on doing for a long time, and we decided to sort of mix it up. We have a different kind of way. We're doing a, a mashup of two different kinds of episodes. Um, so first, we are going to... So we, for the Kennedy Ryan Lift for Autism uh uh, auction, we offered up um, an interstitial topic episode or or an episode topic um, for bid. And the person who bid it, Ju- Julie, the person who won it, um, requested that we do a read-along of Roan Parrish's Rend, which we are more than happy to do because Roan is a lovely writer. And oh, yeah. we were super excited. We are always happy to read books for you all to tell <laughs> us what books to read. Um, but we're also, we figured since it, uh, this particular episode was won in a charity auction, we would do a little work around um, recommending some books 
that where the characters on page or, you know, anything on page has autism rep. I want to qualify and say that neither of us are on the spectrum. So we've crowdsourced these books in many ways from people around us who love them, including Kennedy Ryan herself. Yes. um, And others and people on our Discord. Um, So we're super excited about that. But first things first, we're going to just do a little Thanksgiving excitement. A little Thanksgiving You are not cooking. And let me tell you a story. Okay. Everyone else is probably like... I don't know, boiling potatoes right now. And right now, have they have, like, chatter. headphones in, and they're, like, yeah. prepping for sure. Thanksgiving. So um, we're going to my mom's for Thanksgiving for the first time in years. I mean, I yeah. have hosted Thanksgiving in New York City for at least a decade. Um, and we're going, for lots of reasons, to my mom's to, like, make good memories in her house. And um, we – but my mom is, you know, 82 and not down with, yeah. like – a whole Thanksgiving rigmarole. So sure. I'm going up on Monday um, by train to hang with her and my sister and my sister's new kittens. Very exciting. Mm. A new niece and yes. nephew. Um, and to prep for Thanksgiving. But because we are not in my house and I am not and, – and I honestly don't feel up to it, we are – we have ordered a lot of food well, there you for go. Thanksgiving. I'm still going to do a turkey. Sure. Because my mom has, my mom is a teacher and she has some students from Korea, from South Korea who are in, we have, we are collecting for Thanksgiving and they've never had a. Oh, nice. That's fun. Traditional Thanksgiving. And I was like, mom, we have to make a turkey. Like we have to do it. Yeah. That's, that's the thing the rest of the world knows about. So we're excited. My best friend from high school is going to come for dinner. Nice. It's going to be a fun, like, you know. Well, but I was like, listen, my sister was like, there's this restaurant that I love and I can order all these sides and should I do it? And I was like, Jen does that every year. And it's great. And it seems to have a great time. It is. Well, so here's what we are doing this year because everyone, Little Romance, is still in Amsterdam and I've been really kind of missing him. Mm-hmm. But, you know, no one flies home for, from Amsterdam for Thanksgiving break. He'll be home in like five weeks. It'll be fine. But um, right now, best friend Kelly and her husband are in Amsterdam and I'm sure that they are showering him with love and affection, which is really nice. That's so fun. I know. It's really lucky. So anyway, we are not going to go to my family's just because, you know, my husband is working on this PhD and he has all this, like, work to do. And I'm kind of burned out and tired. And so I was like, it's just the two of us. And I feel like that is too much for, like, Whole Foods Thanksgiving. So there is there are a couple of restaurants that, like, it's like a pick take-home take meal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You pick it up Wednesday. So we are getting our dinner from a steakhouse called Ooh, Prime, yeah. Prime and Provisions, which I've never been there. But um, I'm pretty excited about it. And it's like a whole, like, meal of, like, several courses for two. And, like, you know, from soup to pie. So Perfect. that's exciting. And then um, we ordered a couple extra things at Whole Foods. If you have not had them, they have these, like, butterflake rolls at this time of year that are basically, like, croissant rolls. Sure. They're delicious. So we ordered some of those. Um, But then it was also – this is really funny. So everyone is coming here for Christmas because Little Romance is coming home. Mm -hmm. And I was like, we're not going anywhere. You have to come here. And I told my mom, I was like, well, you know, we'll do Christmas dinner here. But let's go out for Christmas Eve. And she was like – what? You can't do that. Everything's closed. And I was like, <laughs> it's Chicago. I live in a big city, mother. It is fine. 
So we are going so out. Fun. Yeah. So I think that's like the perfect the perfect thing for us to do. And Mr. Reed's romance is very excited because he was like, I'll just get to be able to watch football all day. <gasps> yes. His football his viewing is often very compromised on Thanksgiving, even if we're home, just with, with like hanging out and ch- chatting with people. So yeah. he's really excited about that. I was just going to ask you what you're planning to read. But I know. I have a thing I have to tell you. I totally Ooh. forgot. I have a thing to tell you. What? Um, I'm going to be reading Allie Hazelwood's The Bride. The Bride. It's not out yet, but I have an arc and it looks great. And I'm excited about that. Speaking of charity fundraisers, um, when the terrible fires were happening in Maui. Yes. Um, I offered a one hour Zoom chat oh, to like uh, the books for Maui auction. And it was won by Erin, who is in our Discord. Um, so Aaron and I, and after many weeks of sort of like us having, you know, trouble scheduling it, we finally scheduled it. We had it this week. And it was so much fun because Aaron basically, we like chatted the whole time and we talked about romance novels the whole time. And she made a bunch of recommendations to me that I have really been enjoying. I immediately downloaded. And we talked at one point during the whole thing about the fact that, and I couldn't remember if you and I have had this conversation alone or if we've had it on the podcast but about the fact that there are so many Undertaker romances. Oh, yeah. Yes. And so um, and so she was like, you should do an interstitial about Undertaker romances. And I said, <laughs> Jen will say, absolutely not. No. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> We're not doing that. I'm sorry. If it comes up, I can mention it. But that is not going to be like the focus of, yeah, no. That's no. not. But I will say that Aaron and I together made a list. And we made a list of five romances like recently that we could think of that were books about funeral homes. And so I just want to say to everybody, that is (laughs) not an interstitial that I think we will ever do here on the podcast, but I did promise Erin that I would see if I could find one of those writers to maybe do a little five-minute firebird in our uh, Discord. So can I add a book to your list, I'm sure? Because the upcoming release by Tia Williams, which is Basically, it's the best cover I've ever seen. Oh, so good. It's called um, A Love Song for Ricky Wilde. Her parents, her family owns a a chain of funeral homes Mm -hmm. in Atlanta. And she does not want anything to do with those funeral homes. She wants to run a flower shop, so she moves to Harlem and does that. But it is, in fact, part of the background of the story that they are. Listen, I'm so fascinated by this, and I actually, as a— um, as a longtime fan of uh, Six Feet Under, the television show, I am not squicked out by Undertaker romances. I also love a cemetery. I'm for it. I don't mind a cemetery. I started one of those Undertaker romances, and it had a entire yeah a sort of graphic description. And I was like, no thanks, and that's fine. But um, it's interesting because I hadn't thought about it, but I real we realized it in conversation, Aaron and I. But um, Ashley Poston's book, The Dead Romantics, which everybody loved last year and I thought was really charming, um, was uh, also, like, the heroine had saw dead people and also, like, went home to a home of funeral, like, had grown up in a funeral home. So, like, it's interesting. It's this thing that's going around sure. just in the ether. And uh, I wanted to tell you that I had that great time with somebody who was in the Discord. Well, I'm sorry, Erin, that I... I'm not no, no, it was fine. I was like, that's romances. definitely not happening. <laughs> and then I was like, but I will definitely, I will say something about it. 
And also, um, well, next time I get real sick, Aaron, you can be the guest host. Yeah, Aaron the, can come on and guest host the Undertaker romance. Uh, the episode. Undertaker romance with 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 you, and I'll just lay in my bed and hopefully live. <laughs> and hopefully live. Oh my God, that's great. I, I've been sick for a long time. I feel like I was getting better, and then I was talking to my dad this week, and he was like, "Why do you sound like that?" Why are you coughing? And I was like, oh. So I feel like maybe I've made a little bit of a – I've slid back yeah. a little bit. But it's fine. Yeah. You know what? That's the other reason I'm very excited about our week this week is because I will be able to rest. Yeah. So have, have you wor- read this? No. So this is Ashley Poston, who I just talked about. So this just happens to be on my desk. But this one I think is the one I'm going to take on the train because this is time slip. It's like um, – yeah. She's writing the the premise. It's called the Seven Year Slip. It's I think out now, um, but it's Ashley's second book, and um, she moves into her late aunt's apartment, and there's a man in there, mm-hmm. and um, he is living seven years in the past in the same apartment. Got um, it. And so they are, you know, it's like, like the lake that, house, uh, like the lake house, like, like that the one lake where house. they send letters to each other. I do like it in a movie. I don't in a romance sometimes I'm like I like it in a novel. Like yeah. one of my all-time favorite novels is a novel called Version Control by Dexter Palmer where this woman is married to a physicist and in his lab they are like working on a time machine. But they yeah. don't think it's working. But, like, everything is all destabilized and weird. And you as the reader, and it takes a while to, like, sort of gear up, mm-hmm. start to slowly understand that, like, the time machine is actually working. But because it changes time, nobody knows or realizes it. Like, they walk into this thing and walk out and time has changed. Mm-hmm. But they don't know, right? And it's, like, kind of a really smart take on, like, can you change time and know that you've changed time, right? That's interesting. Anyway, it's a an amazing novel. But I find fucking with time unless it's like real campy like romance style campy like vikings for example which we talked about last week in men and or i i I used to really love those ones by teresa medieros where Mm -hmm. like you know like it was like witchy or whatever and then you went back we should do a time travel episode that would be really you know i like those but the ones that are like kind of serious i'm always like How's it going to work out? I well, I'm going to report in on this one because I actually think it's pretty smart that it's seven years because I feel like you could probably find this guy again, right? Like, um, so that's interesting to me. But I agree. I think, I mean, I think time travel is really, I think time's, oh, I, I, but I like, a, I like a book that deals with that sort of like time. I do too. Time as a concept. I do too. But I feel like what I have learned about myself over time is that I have some real particular weirdnesses about narration. We know this. Uh, and I am very, I feel like I'm going to have a lot of issues about structure. So I'm like, yeah, I like it. But I feel like already I'm like, okay, but I can imagine a lot of ways already it's going to go wrong. Yes. <laughs> For someone like me. So, so yeah, I mean, I'm keeping me updated. People said it's a great audiobook. The Ashley Post This book. one? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I won't do that. I know, but I'm just I for, believe in you. For I'm, our I'm listeners happy for out everyone there. who loves an audio. For our listeners out there. I know, I know. And I found two new books for our holiday episode, which is coming up. Oh, you know, I have a really fun idea for what I'm going to do for that holiday episode. Oh, boy. Can I tell you? Because I yes. actually thought of it this morning. All right, so everybody, 
I think I've talked about this before. I pretty much read exclusively in E at this point. So that has been kind of like a weird thing because I also have a, a a number that I my finger will not click if it's over this number. So I'm really committed. I'm very much committed to like BookBub and other like emails that come out every day that write like sort of tell right. me what books ebooks are on sale, right? Because I I just Anyway, whatever. That's me. It's a me problem. Ebooks should be cheaper. Yes. I mean, there is like an ebook that came out like 10 years, especially backlist. I think for me, it's like a backlist thing. I know. I'm the other gonna, day, I tried to buy a Judith McNaught ebook and yeah. I was like, this is $9. I'm not no, doing that. Exactly. I was like, I'll find the box that it's in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's it, too. It's like these ebooks are like literally like doubling in price, but like there's no material cost. This was a mass market paperback 20 years ago. I'm not paying $15 for it. Anyway, whatever. So then this morning I was looking at the BookBub email. And BookBub, everybody, if you don't know, comes out every day. You can say you want the romance one or whatever ones you want. I just get the romance one. And I look at them every day, but I typically only really let myself buy the book if it's, like, one I've been interested in before. I can – I've really, like – I used to just click, oh, it's free, and then I, like, had, like, hundreds and hundreds of books I was never going to read. So now Mm -hmm. I try to be more judicious. But this morning I had a really funny idea, which is over the next month I'm going to download books that look interesting from the BookBub email that are holiday romances, and that's where I'm going to draw from. Oh, what a good idea. Right? So today— So they'll be old, like, they'll be sort of, like, deep cuts. Right, exactly. But I was like, but, you know, they've been on sale or whatever. So this morning I— I downloaded a Rachel Grant book. I really like she does romantic suspense. And, uh, you know, I downloaded some Rachel Grant book for a buck. And I was like, this is perfect. It's got some holiday theme. So that's my thing is when we do our holiday romance, every book I'm going to talk about, I'm going to have bought on the book. That's so fun. Daily. Can't wait. Yes. Can't wait. Anyway, so so that's in a few weeks, everyone. You know, we always try to do that a little squarely in the middle of December. Um, next week is our best of the year episode. Yes. I can't even believe we're here. I know. Um, but we are. Our best of the year episode is next week. And um, you can pre-order the box of our best of the year books from Pocket Bookshop in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Go to fatedmates.net slash pocketbooks to uh link to the page where you can download where you can purchase that book. Um if you want to pre-order you can. If you wait, there will be extra books that get like ta- that you can tack on cuz we're going to do a little talking about we always do a little talking about some of our other favorite books of the year that are maybe written by our friends. Yes. And uh so we'd like to keep it, you know, super ethical here at Fates. <laughs> Listen, I think as long as um, we tell people it's fine. Listen, also, the other reason why we do that is because we talk about our friends' books so much over the course of the year that you've probably already read them. So sure. we like to make sure that the books, the book box is a good bang for your box. Oh, no. Oh, no. What? Is, oh, no. <laughs> Sarah, what are you doing? Oh, no. You just did it. But uh, also kind of okay. And somebody should use that as a rom-com type. <laughs> I mean, sure. <laughs> yeah, so that's really exciting. So, yeah, we're going to record that, and that'll be next week. And then we'll have, like, a couple interstitials, a holiday episode, and then, like, New, new Year's and Eve. New Year's Eve. Which I don't think For we have new a new t- listeners, New Year's Eve is always a very big headphones in episode. <laughs> 
that's really yes. It, Maybe we should. That's really the that's the that's only it. theme. Headphones we don't know in. what it is. It's just going to be headphones in. Speaking of New Year's Eve episodes and headphones in, did you? We didn't talk about this on the podcast, but did you know that uh, Jessicaine is hanging up the towel? I did see that. I know. I think she published. So, I mean, they're still available. You can get them, but she's. I think she's done writing them, which is sad. It so. is sad. It is sad. I'm sure there will be many people vying Jessica. for her throne. <laughs> R.I.P. Daddy. Oh, the other thing that happened, though, while I was on the phone with this woman, Erin, did you read this book? Hang on. I'm going to tell you about it. Hollywood Remains is by a person named Elizabeth Briggs. Okay. Maybe not. Okay. So here's the deal. She's like a school teacher, an English teacher. Uh, so, you know, for you, a curvy English teacher, even better. Even better. Um, and her terrible boyfriend breaks up with her and tells her that she has to move out of their apartment because he's got some other, like, girl who he wants to move into her apartment. And she has one week to move out. And her best friend is like, oh, I have an idea. Why don't you move in with my brother, mm. who is, like, one of the biggest stars in Hollywood? Sure, he totally needs and, a roommate. Wait, <laughs> and his two roommates who are also huge stars in Hollywood. So sure. it's like, they're roomies. Why don't you move in with my brother, Chris Hemsworth, <laughs> and his roommates, Chris Evans and Chris Pine? Sure. <laughs> And I bet, like, they don't have any help or anything. They probably live in, like, a real crowded. There's only one bed. And then, <laughs> so she in that whole house. This, Jen, I downloaded this book while we were on the Zoom. Of course you did. Of course you did. Because I was, like, a one curvy school teacher and three <laughs> huge, like, A-list celebrities. Yes, I will. Thank you very much. Amazing. So, of course, there's, like, wait, I haven't finished it, but I'm going to give you the setup. So, of course, there's, like, the Wait, there's sun, more? But, like. <laughs> charming, like, handsome one. I mean, they're all handsome, but the charming, handsome one who opens the door and is like, oh, my God, you know, your friend didn't tell us how cute you were. <clears throat> and then there's, like, the his brother. Oh, it's, like, two Hemsworth. It's, like, Liam and Chris Hemsworth and then Chris Evans, right? So, mm-hmm. um, so there's, like, then his older brother who's, like, a bigger star. Yeah. And, like, I think at this point, his characterization is he's just hot. <laughs> like, he's Chris Hemsworth sure. is his characterization. And then the, like, dark and... Oh, no, he's not. He's a widower. No, he's not a widower. <laughs> I'm sorry. He divorced his ex-wife. He divorced his wife in, like, this, like, huge, flaming, like, marital whatever. Yeah. Because he was, like an addict and, like, had to go to rehab. Like, he's kind of, like, he's on the mend, but he has had a past. And then there's this, like, dark, broody, like, grumpy, <laughs> don't look at me, don't talk to me. I'm just right. too. Cannot be perceived. I, yeah. Except if not. I want to fuck. <laughs> but, of course, he's, like, <laughs> instantaneously into her. Like, can't deal with how, like, instantaneously into her. So he goes to his buddies in the house and he's, like, all right, listen, we have to have a, a roommate contract that says uh, she can stay with us. Because the buddies are like, let's have her stay. She's cute. It's great. Yeah. And he's like, she can't stay because I want her too much. And then he's like, and they're like, you're being stupid. Like, she should get to stay. And he's like, okay, so we're going to do a roommate contract. We're all going to sign it. We're basically going to agree in writing that we will not fuck this woman. But 
if one of us does, the other two get to too. <laughs> sure. I mean, all of this checks out, Sarah. I mean, all this of it. seems legally binding. <laughs> Oh, you love a contract in romance. I, I mean, love a ro- I love a sex contract. Sure. So listen. So then, <laughs> of course, of course, she like kisses one of them, and the other two walk in, and then they're by, and she is not told, yeah, that there is this clause. And they walk in, and they're like, "Oh, we get to kiss her too now if she consents." I love this. Like, there's just like sure. a constant if she's okay with it, sure. and she's like, "Am I okay with making out with all of you?" Yes. And then, I mean, I haven't gotten to the end of it, but so far, it's very enjoyable. It sounds great. That is Hollywood Roommates by Elizabeth Briggs. Oh, boy. <laughs> anyway, but we are not here to talk about any of that stuff. <laughs> Sometimes we just can't help we ourselves, need to get everybody. Serious. You know what? I think, like, when it's like a, I think for everybody, it's a holiday. And I feel like we just kind of can be a little silly because we know that a lot of people are just like, cooking in the kitchen or whatever and kind of like, yeah, like, we'll listen to these two dummies banter about Hollywood roommates before we get on to the important business of the show that we were promised. Exactly. (laughs) This week's episode of Fate of Mates is sponsored by Stephanie Rose, author of Raising the Bar. So we have the classic small town, grumpy sunshine romance waiting for you. Sergeant Jude Davis is a cop in a local small town of Kelly Lakes. But, you know, he's gone through a bitter divorce. He's taking care of his sick father. And he really does not have time for all the matchmakers in town trying to set him up on blind dates. So he's pretty grouchy when he meets Claudia, who is temporarily in town. She's been fired and gone through it back in Brooklyn. So she's just, like, in town to sort of, like, have a little break and take, you know, kind of just kind of get herself back together before heading back to the city. And um, Jude has this great idea, which is that they can, like, fake date each other temporarily to kind of just, like, keep everybody off his back. And, you know, she needs a favor, so it's all going to work out. So um, he, like, ends up all of a sudden, everyone's like, why is this dude smiling, Mr. Grump, right? And he is like, it's okay because she's going to head back. No threat to his heart. When all of a sudden, Claudia's temporary stay takes a turn for the permanence. So he might not be the man she deserves, but he does want to be her man. So we are going to find out what happens in Raising the Bar. Well, this one is for anyone who loves a small town romance, who loves grumpy sunshine romance, who loves fake dating. Um, and. You can find it right now in print, ebook, or with your monthly subscription to Kindle Unlimited. Thanks so much to Stephanie Rose for sponsoring this week's episode. So first of all, we want to talk about, so this um, auction, like we said, uh, our listener Julie found a bid on this this episode, and we are going to do a deep dive um, of Roan Parish's Rend. Um, But we also thought that it would be useful considering uh, the auction was to fundraise for families who have uh, people with autism in them who might need extra supports or extra help or extra um, money in order to fund therapies and housing and other whatever other expenses come up because medical expenses and uh, expenses in general are 
serious. Uh, Lift for Autism is the organization, and that is what they do. So we thought Autism Rep in general would be a useful, it would be valuable for us to just like mention a few authors and books who uh, are either on the spectrum and write characters on the spectrum or um, write Autism Rep on page. Yeah. And we, and I want to start with Kennedy. Yes, go ahead. Kennedy does this, Kennedy is um, a mother of a son with autism. And uh, she is, she runs this auction every year. She is committed to this organization and we are always happy to help her um, raise money. And her new book, the book that comes out in 2024, there are ARCs available now. It's on NetGalley now, but you can pre-order it if you loved Before I Let Go. This is the sequel to Before I Let Go. It's called This Could Be Us. And um, it features a... It features twi- twins on the autism spectrum, so it's not the main char- it's not the main characters who are on sp- on the spectrum, but they do have children who are on the spectrum. And she um, obviously is really serious about making sure that that rep is on page and um, yeah, fun to read. So <clears throat> I would say we have a, a couple of people. Some of these books we've read, and some we haven't. We asked some people on our Discord. For suggestions, we're going to do contemporaries first. Then we have some. Is that what we're doing? I don't know. Historicals, I think, which we'll talk about. I think so. Um, Oh, several people on the Discord mentioned, and obviously we also love Helen Wong's, has three books. Um, And I think in a lot of ways, at least for me as a reader, like kind of a general reader, um, I felt like she really was a person who really like, kind of planted the flag for autism yes. rep and romance, right? Agreed. With her book, The Kiss Quotient. Which um, is a banger. Oh, it's yeah. It's so great. If you've not read The Kiss Quotient, right. which is interesting because I was thinking about The Kiss Quotient the other day, Jen, because it predates the pandemic. Yeah. And what's interesting about that to me is that the pandemic brought so many new readers to contemporary romance mm, that I would bet there's like, a massive number of readers yeah. who did not read the Kiss Quotient when it was out and hugely popular. But read it, but, yeah. Oh, my God. It's so great. Yeah, it's, it's about great. a statistician and a sex worker. Yeah. And it is tremendously good. Yeah. And so then we have The Bride Test, which is probably my favorite of her her books, um, where we have a young woman from Vietnam who comes over Essentially, to meet um, Michael is the main character in the first book, and he has sort of like a big extended family. And um, right, isn't it one of his brother? Is that right? Cousin? I don't. Sorry, there's like some sort of familial relationship, and I'm. It's been obviously it's been a while, but anyway, um, a young woman from Vietnam. I mean, she's like in her twenties. She has a daughter who she stays in Vietnam comes over to meet a man who, would like, the mom sets her up with. And it is also, it's it's probably one of my, it's probably my favorite. I love The Kiss Quotient, too, but I really love The Bride Test. So those, of course, are great books. Um, and then I think you and I have also, of course, both read uh, the very wonderful book by Tali Hibbert, Act Your Age, Eve Brown. Mm-hmm. This is the third book of the Brown Sisters series, which is Completely terrific from top to bottom. But um, in this book, Eve Brown kind of realizes that she is 
autistic kind of like self-diagnosis almost. And um, it becomes like sort of this really, like a, it's a really memorable and amazing scene where she essentially kind of like a lot of things about who she is like click into place and she loves and knows herself, but like something about like kind of having a name for it is really powerful for her. Um, it is, that whole series is great, but I mm-hmm. really do love, this is, I really do well, love this one. Did a yeah. deep dive already of Get a Life, Chloe Brown. Yes, which was the first so, one. So right. if you are looking to start that series, start there and uh, listen to the episode and then move forward. Penny Reed, I want to just give a shout out to. Penny Reed um, is her, several of her books tackle, have characters who are on on the spectrum, including um, Neanderthal Seeks Human, Love Hacked, Beard Science, and Beard in Mind. We talk about Helen as being the person who planted the flag, and she absolutely did. And Penny was writing almost simultaneously in independent publishing and indie publishing, these kind of big, the beard books. Yeah. And readers love these books. Like these are, if these are books people constantly comment in, in, uh, yeah. (laughs) Why didn't you mention Penny Reed? Like, why didn't you say anything about Penny Reed? Here we are. We're saying something about Penny Reed. Um, these books are really fun there. It's a small town. Uh, she, some of these are actually set in cities, but the, I think the beard, the beard books are like, like are all in like North a Carolina, maybe like, yeah, I can't yeah, remember town, and um, they're really fun. And if you love a big family, and you love, there's something like I don't know, eight or ten. Isn't that the Winston Brothers series? I don't think it's called the Beard series. I, be- I believe it is called the Winston Brothers um, series. Hang on, I'm just <laughs> making sure, but. Um, yeah, but if you love, yeah, it's Winston, it's the Winston Brothers series. And if you love, like, a giant family of, like, kind of, like, curious, interesting people who, like, really love each other and also really get on each other's nerves, that <laughs> one might be for you. That is how families work. And then, of course, you can't do this do this list without Chloe Lease, um, right. who is, feels new, but she has a bajillion books out yeah so i think again this is someone who i think was indie first but she's been picked up by berkeley and so Mm -hmm. you know a lot of these books are being republished with great new covers yeah and i think um like a continuation again of like the family that she's writing about yeah so she writes a series called the bergman brothers series which is about a large swedish american family um and it's uh there it's really like Again, a big family who are uh, on each other's nerves, but also, like, love each other so much. And most of them, these, listen, these are for my sports romance girlies who, like, loved the sports romance interstitial and just looking for more, more, more sports. There's hockey in here. There's soccer in here. I think there's some other stuff, too, in here. Um, But the three that I would recommend, uh, if you're looking specifically for books with um, autism rep are always only you with you forever. And if only you, um, there are, I think six, seven books, there are five brothers and two sisters. So there are seven books in the series. Um, at least three of them have protagonists with, uh, autism rep and, or who are on the spectrum. And, um, they are very, very fun. People love them. Yep. All right. I have two more recommendations that Neither of us have read, but our Discord is – they're lovely Thank people you, who are Discord. willing to answer our questions. Wow, so, did you guys jump immediately yes. in on this? So we ha- – and 
Some of these, um, okay, The Wedding Night by Katie Wilde has a neurodivergent rich heroine in tech and a blue-collar hero with a plan for revenge of his birth family. I really love Katie Wilde, so I'm definitely going to check that one out. Um, Heavy by Kate Wells, I actually have read this one, has an autistic heroine. I've read that one. And then also um, the latest book by Heather Guare, which you really liked. This author has an autistic female main character um, and apparently potentially has some other characters in past books with neurodivergent um, characteristics. So those are the ones I think that are coming up as being like contemporary. Mm -hmm. Um, You want to do some historicals? Yeah. The tricky thing with historicals, everyone, like caveat here, right, is obviously the autism label or name right um was not available to people in the regions in the you know 19th century and early 20th century so in the historical sphere there are some books that are sort of considered by readers and the world of historical romance to be books that have autism rep or uh, or neurodivergent characters right um on the page but of course it's not Literal, right? There's not a literal acknowledgement of it in the text. Sometimes, like authors will say something in the, like mm-hmm. the front notes or the acknowledgements, or sort of talk about what they were trying to achieve. But yeah, like so, just everybody know, like we're and we try to be judicious here. Like these are books either we've read or people in the Discord have read. We're not gonna when you go to like I, you've all heard us say like we'll go to Goodreads and look, and I kind of look like. Autism rep and romance novels, and a lot of the books I was kind of like, are we sure? So I, you know, it's, I, yeah, it's I, tweaky. Uh, it feels, feels yeah. weird, but in these, I think the list in, that we have is, yeah. So, kind of the first kind of one I think most people have maybe heard is The Madness of Lord Ian McKenzie by Jennifer Ashley. Did we do a deep dive of this? No, but it's on our list for this Ugh, season. I really so do love this. Spoiled book. it for okay, everyone. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> and then, Apparently, again, I haven't read this. Sarah loved the first book in the Indian India Holton series, but the third book, Secret Service of Tea and Treason, apparently has some good autism rep. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's KJ Charles, Unseen yes. Attraction. KJ has said, uh, has acknowledged that it is autism rep on page. Yeah. And then finally, the last suggestions from our Discord were Erica Ridley, who writes a great historical romance, has two books that have neurodivergent characteristic characters, Kiss of a Duke and Never Say Duke. So we want to thank Kennedy Ryan for the Lift for Auction, Lift for Autism Auction. Is that the right? Yes. Okay, let me say that again. Thanks to Kennedy Ryan for sponsoring the Lift for Autism auction and for everyone who supports this cause. I know it's not like Autism Awareness Month. That's in April. But we have really been remiss in how long it has taken us to record this episode for Julie, who won the auction. So thanks to everybody. And, like, this is a, a, you know, people have asked us to do an episode about this. We've sort of been a little, like, we're not sure quite how to do it when we ourselves are not autistic. We don't want to, like, do it wrong or say something really dumb. I think that's my big fear. But this is, um, these are, you know, books that, you know, it's funny because I thought, oh, maybe there's books I haven't read or heard of. But I was like, oh, no, I really feel like I was pretty familiar with the list of books that we came up with. And that made me feel like, okay, maybe I'm, maybe I'm 
not as behind the times as I think sometimes. Exactly. I mean, we did spend the first five minutes of this episode talking about dishwashers, <laughs> so uh, maybe not. But <laughs> here, I feel like we did this okay. This week's episode of Faded Mates is sponsored by Carrie Clark, author of A Capacity for Falling in Love, a steamy, he falls first, curvy heroine romance. He falls first for curvy heroine? I'm in. Me too. Jen, you know what? It's no fun finding out that your boyfriend is cheating. I could bet. It's even worse when you realize that that terrible boyfriend who is cheating on you works for your father. And it's even worser (laughs) when when, uh, that terrible boyfriend, after you sort of say, I'm ready to end this, blackmails you into a potential marriage of convenience, which feels very inconvenient. I hope someone comes along to, to help this girl out. Well, if you are Rosanna Moretti, a costume designer for a small dance company, uh, you are in luck because Benedict Carter, a closet angel investor, is going to stumble upon you and know immediately that there is something fishy about your boyfriend and that he is up to shenanigans. Mm. Um, ben leaps in. He has never been anyone's knight in shining armor, but he is very willing to be Rosanna's and not at all because she is very, very yummy looking. I'm sure that has nothing to do with it. It has nothing to do with it at all, Jennifer. <laughs> If Rosanna's not careful, she is going to get caught up in a whole other kind of love story with Benedict. And she has plenty to lose if she does. So uh, this is a book for you if you love a plan that involves unlikely allies, if you love heroes with secrets and heroines up against the wall, um, if you like a touch of cloak and daggering around and um, a whole lot of delightful humor and a pinch of suspense. You know what else is cool? This book is set in Sydney. Australia. Carrie is an Australian author. I love it. And also, rumor has it, it has a very novel way of removing an engagement ring. So, um, I think this spicy romantic comedy full of um, troublesome exes and secret pining is for you. Uh, Thank you to Carrie Clark for sponsoring this week's episode. But let's get into it. Oh, my God. It's like we're almost done with the episode. (laughs) Okay, but we are. We're going to give this a good – we're going to do it. Um, So uh, Julie suggested that we read Rend by Roan Parrish, who we have read before, both of us, I think. I definitely have. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I was lucky enough at one point during the pandemic, Joanna Shoup was having like sort of monthly romance author chats but Roan doesn't write historical. But at some point, I was lucky enough to have Roan be part of like a, you know, like one of those, like we're all doing interviews with people and Zooms and stuff, right? Or like Facebook Lives mm-hmm. or whatever. So, um, yeah, I have not read this book. I will tell you, though, this book has always been, I think these covers are spectacular for this yes. series. Yes. And I've always been like, why? Do we not mention these as being some of the most, like, best romance covers ever? Like, so it's... They're so sexy, the covers. So it's it's called the Riven series, and the first book is Riven, the second is Rend, and the third is Raise. And I mean, like, that alone should give you a sense of what you're getting into with these books. Like, they are just... They're so... There's such a level of, like, clever, like, 
intense thought. There's like a thoughtfulness in Roan's writing from the very jump. Yeah, yeah. So I like just love the look of this cover, and it's like been on my radar for a long time, but I had not read it, so it was like kind of nice to read it. It's a really interesting book structurally for me. Like I had a really interesting time kind of noticing, right, what I think Roan might have been trying to do at certain levels because the whole way it's set up is really interesting. So we have a single point of view narrator. Our narrator is Matt. He is a pretty young, I think when the book starts, he must be in the prologue, 23. Mm-hmm. And then in the main part of the book, 25. And in the prologue, um, he has grew up in like foster care. Has one really good close friend who does not live close by, lives in Florida. Um, and he, you know, living in New York is like has like seven roommates or something. Yeah. So one of his like major strategies for um, I guess I'm in the plot summary part of it, everybody. One of his major strategies for sort of coping with the fact that he lives in this really small place, his bed is actually like the couch in the living room, mm-hmm. is that he'll sometimes just go out and pick up like a handsome guy at a bar and then have like somewhere to spend the night, which I think is very smart. Um, mm-hmm. And so on the night of the prologue, he meets this guy in a bar who, who's, um, whose name is Reese, and they – end up, Reese ends up taking him out instead to, like, a diner, and they eat. It's so cute, and I had this moment where I was like, this is, like, if you, you know, because when we read a book for the podcast, I always think to myself, like, what are the things I'm going to make sure I, like, push for people who, like, haven't, because I know a lot of you haven't read the book yet, right? Right. So, um, but if if you have come here via fic, this first scene mm. is really like that perfect coffee shop scene that yes. I know. Like coffee shop AU. Uh, <laughs> right. Anybody who loves that will love this. It's just such a lovely, like that moment, that sort of first date. Yeah. That first moment where you know, where you meet somebody and you're just like, it's like time stops and it doesn't matter where you've been or where you're going or what you're doing in an hour. You're just like lost in this moment. Yeah. It's really beautiful. But it's pretty – this is, like, the structural part, it's like, for quick. me. It's kind of – Yeah, but, like, but what's weird is it's actually a prologue that is over a couple of dates and a couple of weeks of time, mm-hmm. right? And so automatically I was kind of like, this is unusual, right? Like, usually a prologue in romance is, right. like, a first meeting or whatever. It would have stopped at the, you know – Shop well, like I date. said, there's yeah. no question from the jump that Roan is thinking about the writing, oh, right? Like, absolutely. what is the structure I wanted to use to tell this story? Especially right. because this is a story that's really – well, it's a marriage and trouble story. Yes, right. Um, but it – and so what's fascinating about it is all marriage and trouble stories require us to see what came before, right? Like, it, the right. in trouble only comes after – Right. Not in trouble. How are you – right. How are you – like, it's a really fascinating thing. And so chapter one picks up one year and eight months later, and these two have been married for over a year. And you're like, wait. Well, wait. What happened? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's – and it's very jarring. You're like, oh, wait a second. Like, this isn't what I expected at all. Right, right. And then you're – but you're like, they've been married. They've been happily married. Like, so you have these two characters. I'm really – I'm in love with the description. So we're in Matt's POV the whole time, and I think that's interesting. I assume we'll get there mm-hmm. at some point as we talk. But, you know, and then there's Reese, who is a musician and who 
quote, looks like a Viking and moves <laughs> like a rock star. Right? I mean, Which, pretty I mean, great. I'm in. There right. I am. Right? But this is, what's interesting at this point is, so I just, before we go any further, I want to talk about the prologue as its own identity because yeah. they they get together, they sleep together in the prologue. Well, well because all, there's, there's like this, there's this very sort of epistolary feel to it where like right. you start to already see what Rowan is going to use throughout the book, but the this like texting, they the way she uses texting is so thoughtful throughout the book because it's like she uses texting as both tension, right? Like there's this yeah. great moment in the prologue where he says, like, do you have sex? Well, <laughs> and the response so, is, yeah, because they haven't. Right. So they go out a couple of dates that it's are not like a hookup. really sweet, but like there's no, and you know, and so here's Matt, like, and it's really interesting because he doesn't ask in person, right? He does it over text. Right. And it's and one I, of our first hints about the communication problems that will plague them, right? Right. Because text becomes truth yeah. in a lot of ways. Like, for these two characters, it's the only way that they can tell the truth to each other. Yeah. and Or that Matt can tell the truth to Reese, right? Right. But at the end of that chapter, there's this moment. So they, they sleep together, and then Matt sneaks out. Sneaks out. And Reese sends this, like, gorgeous love letter that's basically text, just yeah. like, I want you. Like, I want... Yeah. I don't want you to sneak out because you, like, think you can't stay. I don't want you to leave. I want you to stay. I, yeah. I like you. Like, I want this to go forward. And then, boom, turn right. the page. One They're year. married. Yeah. And the thing that's, like, really interesting, because I have, like, this interesting question for you, which is when – so they're married. Um, they Matt has moved in with Reese to his home in Sleepy Hollow, New York, um, which I did not know was a real place until I read this book. Maybe it's not. Really? Maybe it's still fictional. I was actually no, it's like, real. oh, okay, it's real. It's real. And they do they do uh, Halloween, as you can imagine. Yes, right. Really great. Yeah, I'm sure. So my here and so and here's my question: Is so Sarah in the text? What was like the first? moment where you really clocked, oh, this is marriage in trouble. Because I'll tell oh, you where mine was. It was when the friend, it's like, there's a moment where they're right at the very beginning. I mean, like, yeah, almost two pages in to, cha- to chapter one. Yeah, there's right. There's a moment with the friend where she sort of says, like, oh, oh it's, it's his boss, right? Yeah, it's, or or Matt's it's boss. His, yeah, it's his boss. It's yeah. Matt's boss. And she says something along the lines of, like, your rock star husband. Like, yeah. And he blushes, yeah, because he's like, and and instantly I was like, oh, he isn't comfortable, yeah, with so, that relationship, right? So that was the same thing for me. But then, like the kicker so for me is like right when he's then he's home, right? He goes home, and um, I think they may have sex right away. There's a lot of great sex. In There's book, a lot of sex in this book, it's and it's very well done. Yes, it's awesome. But then there's this line: "It's Reese's bed was great." Not their bed, not our bed, his bed. Oh, that's so funny. I and don't it, think I clocked that. Yeah, and it's, again, in chapter one, right, where it's mm-hmm. clear that, like, he lives in this home, but he it is not his home. Right? It doesn't Matt, feel like it Matt is. lives here, but it is not his. Well, because yeah. poor Matt has had it rough, yeah. right? Like, this is a book about tr- her, about overcoming trauma yeah. in many ways, right? Like childhood trauma. He grew up in foster care. He had a really difficult time. He moved from home to home. He it eventually comes out that like his mother left. Like there, right. he has this very traumatic relationship with people who he loves. 
basically pushing him away or leaving him. Right. And so, like, when he gives himself up to love, the emotion of love in any of its forms, he fears Abandonment. Loss, yeah, right. Abandonment and loss. So this is not an uncommon way of a character being, but I think I think Roan is really specifically attempting to dig into what this means for people and also for the people who love those people with abandonment yeah. issues. Yeah. Um, what's amazing about this book is this sense of Reese Reese's patience with Matt's yeah. issues is tremendous because this isn't a standard marriage and trouble book. Like the, right. basically the plot is well because like Reese doesn't away. even know they're in trouble, essentially, right? Right. Basically the plot is Reese goes away. Like he's a musician. He's on tour, and, yeah. And he goes on tour. And Matt like can't deal. Yeah. He's never been alone before. Literally. The idea that like he's alone and Reese is gone and he's gonna come back and he still loves him, but Matt like can't fathom this. Yeah, possible. I mean, essentially it's and there's some some structural, like a little bit of like romance reasons to kind of why, right? I mean, so Reese is has been a session musician, right? Mm-hmm. Has been someone who has been really adjacent to stardom, but has never been a star himself. So it's not like he's, you know, I mean, I don't know. It's not like. He's not a rock star per se. Right. So it's, and then the other, so it's not like, you know, we're rolling around in money. So you can just like, you know, come with me. And also for the first time in his life, Matt has a job that he finds really personally and professionally fulfilling, right? So Mm -hmm. he, you know, as we know, grew up in foster care. And so now he works at a, like, local in New York, you know, kind of local New York um, nonprofit that that helps essentially kind of young people transitioning into adulthood. And so, you know, his work is so personal that he can't also really kind of conceive of, like, leaving that all behind for a short-term tour. It's, like, only a month or two, right? So it's not like this thing where and, – and so I think some of these are really smart choices on Roan's part, too. Like, if it had been a year long, well, then clearly Matt would have just, like, gone if it had been yeah. – right? If it, But it has to be kind of long enough for him to really kind of go into crisis. Get in his head. Right? Yeah. But not so long that we can't understand why they, like, made this choice, right? Right. It's, it's kind of – and then, like, in the middle – Reese is going to come home for a weekend and see him. So it's like, it's going to be fine. It's a couple weeks. I'll see you. It's Then I'll be gone again and I'll come back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the thing that's like really interesting to me about it is, um, you know, one of the things I found myself admiring is I think a lot of romance traffics in like the 25-year-old main character. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those romances, those people are, like, super on it, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a 25-year-old billionaire or whatever, right? Right. You know, like, I I never have made mistakes. I've never been emotionally insecure. I've never, like, I am just with it. And I feel like one of the things that this book really, I think, does well is, like, young adulthood is not easy. Yeah, well. Right? And I think what's fascinating here is... As you said, like the 25-year-old, just just you saying that makes me think in 
a lot of contemporary romance, especially rom-coms, 25 plays young, yeah. but, like, for laughs, right? Mm-hmm. These are messy characters mm-hmm. who we're supposed to, like, love because they are messy. Right. This is not that. No. There is a... I don't know. I feel like it's, like, almost a bleakness to this book. Yeah, I would agree. In the first half, at least, that really made me, in many ways, sad. And, like, uh-huh. not... And that's that's not critical. That's not me saying, like, oh, I didn't like it. It means, like, you know, I say all the time romance is the genre of feelings. Yes. And, like, sadness is a huge piece of that. And I think that where so many of us pull a punch and, and like, make you sad for a moment and then right. immediately solve the sadness so that you don't have to actually interrogate it as the reader and the characters don't really have to interrogate right. it as characters, that's not what Roan is doing here. She is saying, like, Matt needs to sit in this and so do you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that is, I mean, that's really kind of a baller move. Yeah, I agree. I found myself thinking a lot, and this is, like, perhaps, like, unfair, but I found myself thinking a lot that, like, I don't think it—I'm going to judge readers here, right? If I found myself thinking a lot, like, if Matt was a woman, I don't think people would persist through the sadness. Right. I think that they would have—I think women are expected to, like, buck yeah, up right. more quickly. right. So there's I, a way in which Matt's kind of like wallowing, you know, and his inability, maybe that's not a great word, but right, he is like, right, it, Matt's inability to sort of like figure out what's going on, his, like, he doesn't have a whole lot of skills because who taught, who would have taught him those skills for uh-huh. managing his emotions, right? Like there's a lot of that I just felt like, I was like, I don't, this, People will keep reading this because it's a man. Yeah, I mean, I think that I I do think that there is the in the writing here, there's something really fascinating, like that's going on. The book reads in a different way than traditionally oh, yeah. romance usually reads, right? It's like, very and compelling. That is because right? Roan is a, a skilled writer, right? And so everything's she is so intentional. Doing something yeah. intentional here constantly. And I think that's really interesting. I want to talk about POV, and I think here is the place to talk about POV. It's first person exclusively from Matt's POV. And it's interesting, right? Because, again, when you look at romance writ large on a grand scale, especially romance, you know, the history of romance, romance is usually in sort of deep third. And we are given access to the hero's thoughts, um, in moments to the to you know if we have a character who is experiencing this kind of sadness right, right. like this kind of self doubt yeah um we are given access to the other character's feelings so that we are certain that yeah. they are loved right? right so and it's like it's a little bit of a cheat right because you can immediately switch you can you can play with misunderstanding in a really interesting way in that way where, like, one character believes, like, I am not worthy of love, and right. then you switch chapters or scenes, and the other character's like, I can't love this person anymore. And then you, as the reader, are like, oh, okay, don't be worry. Fine. Yeah. There's no here, you just have to really, you really, you have to yeah. sit with Matt in his yeah. doubt, right? Yeah. 
which is very authentic in a lot of ways. Like if you are a person who does not believe yourself worthy of love, this is a real, which I think is what made me so sad about this, like in the the early pages of this book, like it feels very real and heavy. Yeah. That said, choosing first person is so brilliant and, and a testament to Roan's skill because Reese is light in all of this like dark. Yeah. Right. There are, he could not be more clear yes. over and over and over again that he loves Matt yes. and that he wants Matt and that he is here for Matt and wants to be his partner and wants to help him and wants to – like, he is, like, the sure. perfect mate, right? Yeah. So in so many ways, your work as reader is to sort of navigate the 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 fog of Matt's self-doubt. There's a line in it uh, where – he, Reese says something like, doesn't it feel good to know that you can't get rid of me, mm-hmm. right? Like, no matter how much you push me away, no matter how much you tell me I, you're not worthy of love, no matter how much, like, you try to stop this, to, like, end this relationship, I will never leave. I will always be here. Um, yeah, right. And there is, like, this constant sense of, like, this is the hero. This is, like, true hero shit. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Because that's what it's – I mean, I think it, there's a lot of ways in which this choice, right, allows Roan to do some things that are really fascinating. Like, I was really – like, we've talked a lot about, um, like, the self-insert character, right? Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, Matt is really – you can't insert into Matt. Because Matt, like, it's fascinating. I'm trying to think of how to say it. It's fascinating to have a character in first person who doesn't really like to think about themselves, mm-hmm. right? Like, so there's some real tension there. So, like, a real common, you know, thing that we might say as romance readers is, like, well, like, why does Reese love him? What are the great, amazing qualities about Matt? And, like, Matt does not think of himself as lovable, so there's a way in which, like, that he does not know what it is that Matt loves about him. And so we don't know either, right? And then, like, there's these hints, right? Like, like his dedication to his job. Yes. Like, the stories that he tells the about, friends, like, his friends, uh, yeah. right? The way that he tries to navigate or is so adept at, like, figuring out, like, why people cannot, like, show themselves. Like, right? Like, he's so sensitive. But, like, that's not something Matt knows about himself. I mean, this is, like, brilliant writing to be able to, like, sort of show that. So it's like you're showing one thing to the reader that the narrator does not know about themselves. And that's, like, a really— very cool. Yeah, it is very cool, right? And it's very deftly done. And, it yeah, it's it just— it's just proof that, like, Roan is – she is a great writer. This week's episode of Faded Mates is sponsored by Sheila Masterson, author of The Lost God. Okay. So this is a fantasy romance. You could probably tell from the title. Two kingdoms are vying for an ancient magic power, and there is one witch who has the power to release it. So cool. She is Cecilia, and she is a memory witch, and she has to sacrifice 
her power, all magic in this world building requires an exchange. It requires sacrifice. So she has exchanged blood for memories and pride for respect. And um, now she's finding that she has to, she has like for her lifetime uh, sacrificed her unrequited love for her guardian. You love it. (gasps) I totally do. Rainer, uh, for the sake of her duty. And she does it all knowing that it will help for with her being able to complete this kind of gauntlet and release the power of the lost god. Um, but the god of war attacks, unfortunately, Seems bad. doesn't sound doesn't sound great. <laughs> so Cecilia and Rainer set out on a final journey, a sort of quest to venture deep into enemy territory. Aided, though, Jen, by a charming hunter who offers Cecilia a glimpse of the romance she has always wanted. Seems like a love triangle to me, Sarah. I think that's what's going on here. So the trio encounters, like, all sorts of, you know, villains and weird things, like memory-stealing hunters and illusion forests and meddling gods. Um, And Cecilia has to really decide what is she going to choose? How will she choose? Will she choose herself or her magic or the world? Um, and what I think probably we're going to talk about which man she's going to choose too. Anyway, the lost God is the first book in a two book series. Um, and the, but if you read it now, you'll be teed up for next week when book two, the memory curse comes out. Yes, you can check out The Lost God with your monthly subscription to Kindle Unlimited. Um, It's also available in print. Thank you to Sheila Masterson for sponsoring this week's episode. So the other part, so the part that's then really interesting about the book to me is once Reese goes off to tour, Matt is left alone in their house in Sleepy Hollow. And there's a way in which he starts to, like, sort of misperceive the world around him as being, like, very gothic is, like, the only word I have for it. Like, right? Like, they're, like, there's, like, screeching on the, yeah, you know. Yeah, it feels the, heavy. Yeah. Everything like, right? starts to feel, the woods like, out and, of time. Right? Yeah. Like, the, the they go for walks. So there's, like, a, isn't there a cemetery they walk through? Did I make that up? You know, there's, um, you know, a way in which he's completely isolated, right? Like, he is... He even says that, like, right, I was, he was used to feeling alone, but he wasn't used to being alone, Mm. right? And so, like, the darkness in the house, the shadows, he doesn't sleep in the bed anymore. He starts, he goes back to sleeping on the couch, Yeah, right? Like, there's these, like, sounds and, you know, I mean, and it's just, like, really interesting the way he perceives this place as being, like, scary, Literally, yeah. right? And so what he well, starts because to do- it's the specter of like certainty, yeah, right? Like for someone who, you know, for somebody who has spent their entire existence in fear of in doubt and in fear of being abandoned, the idea that you would have a home that you share with another person, whether or not they are there, right? right. That they will always come home to, yeah, that certainty piece is terrifying in a lot of ways, right? Like, you know, I think some people, there's this, like, thing in therapy, you know, therapists will tell you, like, some, there are some people who, like, thrive on disappointment. Like, they, they are more comfortable being disappointed in a situation than being, like, surprised and, like, delighted, right? Um, And I think, like, for Matt, like, he, his, he thrives on, on this, like, on doubt. Like, that is the comfort 
is his zero state, his most comfortable state is doubting himself and those around him. Well, I'd say the thing that's really interesting then is, and I was very, is he starts staying later and later in the city, right? Where he's yeah. constantly surrounded by people and noise, right? He goes back to like the neighborhood he grew up in, like the stoop that he sat on while waiting for his mom to come home after she abandoned him. I mean, and so there's this way in which he's like, we lit- literally see him like falling back into mm-hmm. old patterns about where he belongs as he falls into a belief about how he should be, right? Yes. It's it's brilliant. It really is. Yeah, where we find comfort, or, like, discomfort in that case. Like, it's, like, sitting on a pincushion well, for him. Phys- you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, in terms of, like, you don't belong, you don't deserve nice things, right? It's, like, his brain is yelling at him. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, though, because when Reese is on page with him, one of the things I kept thinking about is, like, this is a book. It's a very quiet book in a lot of ways, right? Like, for how loud Matt is, yeah. it's, it's a very quiet book. And... Um, every time Reese is on page with him, like, the moments where they are, you know, together, you know, when they're not having sex or, like, you know, it feels like it's about the in-between moments of mm-hmm. being in love, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's about it's, – it's like what Roan has done is she's sort of, like, sliced out all of the – all of the moments that – feel fabricated about a relationship, right? So, like, we don't see their wedding, for example. We don't see, like, the moments of, the moments where, like, you would send them a card or, like, mm-hmm. engage with them on, like, a, in any sort of fabricated way. Like, these moments that we see them together are the quieter moments. And so this is a book that just sort of, like, dwells in this. Yeah. The most... I don't know what word to use that I, – I don't mean this word to sound, like, derogative, but, like, it, 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 it dwells in the ordinary. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah, I think so. And, and what's fascinating about that is Reese loves him so much that his constant support, his constant reiteration of his care and love or, you know, whatever, his desire to be with him is – it becomes ordinary. Yeah. Right. Right. So the essentially like this is so the book is sort of split in half, right? So it's like the descent is kind of this first half, like Matt's left alone. We kind of get this set up. And through this first part, we start to get some glimpses of like how they came to be married and how right, like there's sort of the backstory sort of slowly gets filled in. Yeah. Um, but the real kind of moment of crisis then in the book is um so Matt's best friend is named Grin. Um, in foster care, they were Grin and Grim, right? Matt's the Grim one. And Grin's in Florida, and there's, like, a, a friend of theirs that he can't get in touch with. And Matt actually has, like, a premonition that she has died, right? Like, wakes up one morning and is like, Sid's dead. And he calls or texts Grin, and he's like, she's dead. And he's like, how do you know that? And he's like, well, I don't. I just know, right? Like, I know. And... Um, Matt, like, can't tell Reese any of these things, right? Like, he goes to her funeral and has essentially, like, a panic attack there. At which point, like, so this is, like, you know, he's hitting rock bottom, essentially. He calls Reese on the road and is having a panic attack. And and Reese is kind of like, I have never even heard you talk about this person, 
right? Like, and it's really this moment where Reese, although there have been red flags, he's been kind of ignoring, right? Like, for example, Matt has basically refused to meet Reese's family. And it's clear it's because he's afraid he'll get rejected by them, right? Like, he just, like, the Mm -hmm. idea of family is, like, too big for him. Mm -hmm. And Reese really, I think, at this point understands, like, just how, like, something is really wrong with Matt. And here he is, still on tour. And it's, again, again, a really interesting moment because he's like, I'm coming home tonight. And Matt's like, no, you're not. You have one more show. You have to stay and do it. You can't let your fans down. And Reese lets himself be talked into to it. And I think it's, to me, it was very real. Like, you have to listen. If your partner swears up and down that they are okay and they want you to do this thing, like, everyone's an adult, you should listen. Like, I really did not blame Reese at all for for kind of going along with that. When he finally comes home, it's like all of a sudden, you know, Matt is just, there's like no skin left on him. He's just all nerves, right? And then it starts to finally, like kind of some of the truth about why Matt, like what Matt experienced as a child, right? Why he didn't tell Reese essentially because, you know, he was like, it's very, it was very tender, I thought, right? Like, Mm-hmm. Reese is so good and has had such a good, happy life and so much support that even the 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 beginning of the bad stuff that Matt has experienced makes him so upset and so sad, at least in Matt's perception, that he just doesn't want to tell him more. He's trying to protect Reese the same way Reese is trying to protect him, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, the whole then, like, kind of second half is the part where, like, finally... Matt starts to reveal some of his truth. Yeah. And I think there's, um, you know, there are a lot of different ways that, that Roan kind of offers us this opportunity to think about how relationships evolve, right? Like mm-hmm. the, the marriage, the fact that they are married so early. Yes. She gives us these, this access to like how they came to, you know, to be together, right? Mm-hmm. And and their life before, you know, before the break. But um but like I think there's a really intentional reason why we don't see the we don't see the the courting period of the yeah. original. Like she chooses she makes really interesting choices time-wise. And then at the end in the epilogue, she gives us this like really meaty long epilogue. Yeah, right. Where, it's like the bookend of the prologue, right? Right. Where we see them like really planning for happily ever after. Yeah. Right. And we see them planning for a wedding. We see them talking about um wedding like Matt says the only thing he ever really wanted was a wedding ring. Oh, I know. And like that moment is so beautiful to me because yeah. I'm like imagine like they have been married. Like right. he didn't feel right. safe enough to say in this relationship to say it. Yeah. You know, at the I beginning want a ring. like I want yeah. a ring. Yeah. Well, they so, go get a dog. I know the dog. I mean, it's lovely also because dogs take a lot of work like yeah. they don't leave you. Like you're now right. you're in it. Right. So right. I really I really was very grateful uh, to have been recommended to read this book because yeah. I think um, it taught it made me think a lot about writing. I think it's very like I think like you. I was I guess I would say like the one thing that was really important to me and it did happen is I was like 
whatever Matt is going through, like, he needs help and support more than just Reese. Yeah. I was really happy, like, therapy entered the the room at some point. Therapy entered. Because I was like, this is, right? I mean, I did. I found myself really thinking, like, as you said, like, you love someone, but you know they need help that you can't provide. And that is, like, Reese's journey, right? Like, he's the one who's kind of, like, the fixer. And, you know, and and their friends who are the couple that were in the first book. Right, Theo and Theo and Caleb, right, I think. Caleb. Were like, you it, that's not your job. Your job is to support the person as they fix themselves. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was like really beautiful. But and that's right? really important. And yeah. I think it's really smart that 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 was put on page because I do there is a moment and I think it's intentional. It gets so dark, like so bleak. That you do have a moment as the reader where you're like, maybe I, like yeah. we should just like let it, Matt, are they codependent? Like these are they two right? Maybe is, not right, exactly. And then you're, I mean, and so like in that sense, I feel like it really is playing around with like real questions about like the HEA, about like emotional security, about like you know the kind of. I mean, I, I say all the time, <laughs> like like when you are in a partnership with someone, like you're fighting some version of the same fight or grappling with some version of the same emotional, right, like sort of thing, whatever it is, all the time. And I think that, you know, I say this all the time, like it's about deciding to stay with a person. And I think this book really is like a good model for that. Like this is Reese and Matt deciding to stay together. And, you know, that they both realize that like they're – the way that they like fit together – is so is worth fighting for, right? Yeah. Even though like the emotional scariness of it is really like shocking almost to Reese, right? Like there's mm-hmm. a and I and I think it's like there's a I think there's not like a third act breakup, but there is sort of a third act no, but there's breakdown a where it's a right? test. Yeah, where it's a test. Like a test of the relationship. Yeah, and and Reese is just like, you know, no, we are going to like what's happened, but also like you know, we're going to keep at it. This is how it works. We just keep working at it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I did. I found it really um, – it's a very uh, on purpose, again, very insular, very isolating, right? Like yeah. they are – you know, there's a way in which this is really capturing a tone or a mood. Yeah. Well, that it's I funny because – It's so opposite of like the rom-com mood, as right. you said, that you're just right. like – This book feels like it was written – at a different time. Yeah. I mean, right? I mean, we talk so much about romances in phone booths, mm-hmm. right? Two people in a phone booth. This really feels like one person in a phone booth for a long time. And it's, it's very authentic. Like, I think that's part of why it feels so, so intense because you're like, oh God, this is one person who's really just struggling to, right. To let themselves be in the world. One thing I was thinking about a lot in terms of the writing is, like, capturing feelings on page is very difficult. Yes. Right? So for anyone who's like, how do you capture feelings on page? Like, read this book. You know what I mean? Like, it really is, in terms of, like, here's a book that really understands, like, the emotional tour de force that people can go through when they are, like, falling in love and being in a relationship. And this book just commits yeah. Like, commits to, like, showing you a person who is really in crisis, I think, for a lot of the book. Yeah. Like, and, but in crisis in a way that what they're like, I see what I want through the glass of the phone booth. 
and I just need to like open the door. And they think I opened the door once. And this is a book where it's like, no, you're just going to have to keep opening the door. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a one really great part of the book I really liked, which is like later on when Reese is kind of like, look, when we're talking or I'm asking you questions or it gets just to be too much, like, you know, we we need to come up with essentially like an emotional safe word. Mm-hmm. And Matt is like, well, why can't I just say like, I feel like you're asking me too much, blah, blah, blah. Right. And Reese is like, well, because you have not yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you need a shortcut because – Sometimes it's easier to just say the shortcut. And what they settle on is, like, I hear you, right? I hear you. And it is, it's really powerful to, like, sort of communicate the ways in which, like, they are, like, finding their way together, I think. Well, I also felt like at the end there is this sort of emotional, there's a a pretty dark moment where Matt realizes, like, he needs to take a, he needs to take action. Yeah. And Reese leaves, and he texts Matt. Matt thinks to text, right, and, like, check in. And he tries to find him, and he finds him ultimately at a friend's house or whatever. And then he picks up the phone and calls, like, to apologize, to, like, say, I'm so sorry. Like, I fucked up. And whatever. It doesn't matter how the rest of that scene goes. But for me, I thought it was a really beautiful parallel to the prologue where text where they both found text to be the only way that they could tell the truth um but in the growth the the mirror image of it at the end of the book is the knowledge that like you you can't hide you have to you have to say it with your full chest which is maybe the message right like you have to say it with your full chest i think that was also a that was a really interesting scene for me when Reese leaves, right? Kind of gets really upset. He kind of understands for the first time. The, right, because it's hard. Yeah. Here we are. And I think it's a really, again, it's a, I think it's a really difficult scene as a reader because you don't know why he left because Matt doesn't know why he left. Like mm-hmm. when you go back and read like the actual like dialogue or what happens, you're kind of like, I, I really was like, I don't understand why Reese left right now. Like, I really was. Like, right. And I was it's like, like final straw, though. Yeah. Like, I was like, I don't understand why this guy who's like, I'm like, don't worry. Like, why was this the thing? I mean, I really was like, I was like, and you just have to really be like, it's because of this character's inability to really yeah. understand the emotional lives of other There's people. There's just such right? authenticity to yeah. it. Like, the, anybody who has been in a relationship with somebody who has this kind of yeah. trauma, like, can tell like this there's just something very real about it yeah yeah i was really happy to read it though um so i mean i think it's like the angstiest book i've read in a long time oh yes like if you're a person who's like i just want to like wallow in feelings right this is definitely the book for you so that book was roan parish's rend And we are uh, grateful to Julie for recommending it to us. And we hope that you um, enjoyed the chat about it, this, like, weird mishmash of things that we have done today. But listen, we're always trying something new here at Faded Mates. I'm Sarah McLean. I'm here with my friend Jen Prokop. We are Faded Mates. You can find us at fadedmates.net every Wednesday in your favorite podcasting app. 
online on Twitter at Faded Mates, on Instagram at Faded Mates Pod, or if you have had a lot of fun with this chaotic episode and you would like to experience our chaos even more frequently um, and the chaos of all the other magnificent firebirds in the world who listen to Faded Mates, you can head over to join our Patreon at patreon.com slash fadedmates where you'll get access to special episodes and to our Discord, where a lot of people who love romance novels talk about them all, all the time. The time. <laughs> again, that's Faded Mates. Uh, no, again, that's patreon.com slash fadedmates. Um, like we said, next week is our best of the year episode. We have a book box with pocket books. You can support a queer, woman-owned, anti-racist, feminist bookstore in Lancaster, Pennsylvania by pre-ordering our Fate of Mates Best of the Year books. Uh, You can do that at fateofmates.net slash pocketbooks. What else, Jen? Thanks to our sponsors. Happy Thanksgiving to all who celebrate. And you know what? I hope you have a nice turkey if you enjoy that kind of thing. I hope you're doing whatever you want to do. I know I am. (laughs) Take care, everyone.